earlier this week, a friend of mine came up to me. We were talking, and he said, are you ready? And I said, what do you mean? He said, are you ready? And my mind is like, well, I'm supposed to know something here, but I don't really know what he's talking about. And he goes, no, are you ready? And I said, ready for what? He goes, Sunday. He's like, Easter, it's like Super Bowl for pastors. <laughs> and I, I laughed like you guys did. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I went home and I started thinking about it. I'm like, wait a minute, it kind of is, it is, it is an important day. It's something, and, and I kind of got stressed out about it. I'm like, well, what do I do? It's like the Super Bowl, you know? How, how, do, I, how do I prepare? What do I do? And in my sort of, uh, I won't use the word anxiety, but in my concern to, to produce or have the Lord give me a good message, the Lord just quietly reminded me. He said, you know, just do what you've always done. Simply teach the Bible simply. It's, you know, a super, he kind of related this to me. A Super Bowl winning team doesn't just become a Super Bowl winning team on the Super Bowl. They're always up at that level. And I thought, you know, Lord, I'm just going to do what I've always done. And then he reminded me of something else. About a year and a half ago, I started teaching the book of Matthew. About a year and a half ago, on Thursday nights, we have a Thursday night study at 7. I started going through the book of Matthew. And then I realized about three weeks ago that our study in Matthew was going to line up perfectly with Resurrection Sunday, where Matthew 28 will be the next section I teach. So this is kind of like a Thursday night. So think of it that way. And then I, he reminded me again, without planning it, here we are on Easter Sunday. I'm right where he wants me to be in the scriptures. He planned it perfectly from a year and a half ago or from time began that this message would come forth at this time. And I didn't even have to figure out what I was going to teach on. Just keep teaching. Just keep going where you left off. I thought, man, what a blessing that is, that I don't have to do anything other than what I always do, which is teach God's word simply, and hopefully my prayer is that it'll touch your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him that. Father, we thank you for this special day that we remember your resurrection, but we also know it's not the only day we remember your resurrection. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for rising, for leaving that tomb empty so that we could know that you've risen from the dead. And Lord... This morning, as we open up your word, would we be willing to open up our hearts and have you minister to us, have you speak to us? I'm sure that in a group this size, there's people struggling. There's people that are joyful. There's people that are sad and hurting. There's people that are feeling and going through, navigating all these different things in life. Lord, yet you're so faithful to meet us right where we're at. So I just pray this morning that each one of us, you would meet right here on the pages of scripture as we've come here this morning to hear your word and to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus has been presented as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. He has spoken like a king. He has performed miracles like the Messiah was supposed to perform or would be expected to do. He's fulfilled a myriad of Old Testament prophecies, and Matthew's pointed them out all along the way. He has served been a servant as the Messiah should serve. He's predicted both his death and his resurrection on at least three occasions. The disciples and the other followers have believed and they have followed. They were all in, so to speak. They had given up their lives, they, their businesses, they turned, left the tax tables, left the fishing business, and they are all in in following Jesus. But things haven't gone as they planned. It didn't go like they expected. From Matthew chapter 27 into chapter 28, something has happened. 
It has literally been the worst day or a couple of days of their lives. All of their hopes have been buried in a tomb. They are overcome with severe grief and sorrow. Their future, which once was so solid, now seems uncertain. Their plans, their expectations have been shattered to pieces. I imagine them gathering together, reflecting back upon the memories of the last three years. Perhaps they talked about the miracles. They remembered the demons being cast out. They remember Jesus walking on water, calming the storm. Peter falling in, perhaps. But now, as they sit and they remember, I can even imagine them saying, he seemed to handle the Pharisees and the scribes so well. But now it seems as though they've had the last laugh. And at this very moment, at this time in their life, there's no hope. There's no hope. They didn't know what to do next. They didn't know where to turn. Their best friend had just been crucified. He'd been murdered. Yet somehow, they were supposed to be thankful and celebrate the Passover during this time of year then. With not much to look forward to. And perhaps the fear of their own death being imminent for being a follower of Jesus Christ, that Sunday morning dawned. Follow along as I pick up in Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. I want you to know these were the last two ladies to leave the cross, and they're the first two people to come to the tomb on Sunday morning. Notice it says the first day of the week. It was early. The sun began to dawn. Hey, why do we go to church on Sunday? Because of this story. Because of this message. The two Marys are on their way to the tomb. Now Jesus had said to his disciples, and probably to them as well, that he would rise again. But they're not coming with that expectation. They don't have the faith of the resurrection. They weren't coming to see if he was alive. They were coming to finish what they started a few days ago. A few days earlier, they had started the process of embalming Jesus' body. It was hurried along, and they thought, well, I've got to go finish that up. That alone is gutsy. It's been a couple of days. You see, the only expectation they held was that Jesus was laying in a tomb behind a rock that was sealing the entrance. One of the other Gospels tells us that on the way, they wondered, how are we going to get in? Who's going to open the tomb for us? How could we possibly get in there? And look what happens when they arrive in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came, and he rolled back the stone from the door, and he sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now Matthew is the only one who records this earthquake for us. And if you recall, the earth shook at Jesus' death and it's shaking again at his resurrection. Now don't think, I don't think the earthquake moved the stone. I think the moving of the stone caused the earthquake. It's my personal opinion. You see, back in Matthew chapter 27, the Jewish leaders, they knew, they remembered that Jesus had predicted his death and his resurrection. And they were concerned. Strangely, the apostles and the followers had forgot, but the leaders had this in mind. And they didn't want somebody to come steal away Jesus' body. They said that would just be terrible. And if they stole his body, they could claim that he rose from the dead. So what did they do? They posted a guard. 
They posted numerous, several Roman soldiers at the tomb. The tomb was sealed, and the soldiers were ordered to guard the tomb until after the third day. When these women arrive at the tomb, the stone, it's been rolled away from the door. There's an angel sitting on it. Now, I just picture him having a smug little look on his face. Now, I, I don't know really, I've never seen an angel. I don't really know what they look like, but I just see him like, you know, once you've done the work, you take a seat, you're done. Stones move, angel's sitting on it. He, there he sits. He's dressed in white. And the scripture tells us his countenance, which is his appearance, is like lightning. Lightning is pretty bright. Lightning has, is a pretty scary. Lightning is not something you play with. Those tough Roman soldiers, those trained military fighting machines, what were they doing? They're shaking with fear. It says they're literally playing like dead men. That means they're laying on the ground pretending as though they're dead. Charles Spurgeon points out, he says, the angel didn't have a flaming spear that we know of. He didn't even speak to the soldiers. His mere presence brought these trained soldiers into submission. Wow. Talk about spiritual power. And these ladies, as they're approaching, as the tomb's coming in sight, can you imagine what they thought? They were expecting a sealed tomb, some Roman soldiers, perhaps some political bureaucracy to get through. Instead, they have an angel sitting on the stone. The tomb is open, and the soldiers are all falling over on the grounds. What do they do? They're scared. You would be too. Look at verse 5. The angel answered and said to the women... Do not be afraid. You know, whenever they say that, it's because they're afraid. So do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen as he said. Naturally, the first thing the angel says, don't be afraid. Every time people run across angels in the Bible, they all, they all start the same way. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Why? Because I've never seen one, but like I said, there must be something about the angelic presence that you just go, whoa, that is bigger than me, and I need to bow down. And if you bow down and worship, they're going to say, get up. The only one that allows worship being worshiped is Christ himself, which we'll see a little bit later on in this passage. But the angel quickly said something to him. He said, hey, I know why you're here. I know why you're here. I know why you've come. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. And the ladies are probably, uh-huh. We are. But the angel said, he's not here. He's not here. He is risen. He's risen. And then he, then he reminds them, as he said he would. He's risen as he said. This is designed to serve as a reminder. Don't you remember Jesus telling you guys that he would rise again? Don't you? Get, put your mind. Oh, now I remember. Don't we all need those little reminders once in a while? How many times have you grabbed onto a promise of God and it, it carries you through a time that's so difficult, yet the next time that same difficulty comes your way, you forgot all about the promise? I hope an angel comes and reminds you someday. I've never had it. Maybe you will. But oftentimes it's a pastor. It's a teaching on the radio. It's my wife. It's a friend. It's someone who just so gives me that fresh voice of that known truth that I need to hear from God's word that just reminds me of it. The angel says, I'm going to remind you even though they expected Jesus to be dead. They didn't expect him to be alive. They thought he'd be dead. These women had come to the tomb to serve. They were coming to serve. They still had a desire to serve. Maybe they just expected to complete what they started, which is likely we're just going to finish what we started a few days ago, but their heart of service is still there. What they expected was to find 
Jesus' body sealed behind a rock, needing a little more uh, of the embalming process they, they went through. Boy, were they going to be surprised, huh? What a surprise they got. Let me ask you this question. How many times have you set out to serve the Lord with an expectation of how things would go? And it never goes like you planned, does it? If you take a step of faith and you got it all planned out, you think this is the way life's going to go, it just does, it, there's just something different about it. It doesn't go that way. It never goes like you planned. It never goes like you thought it would. These ladies are in the same place. They're going to finish the embalming process, but the issue is they'd lost sight of the Lord's word. He said he'd rise again. They lost sight of that. They'd forgotten the Lord's promise to rise again, but they wanted to finish what they started. Well, how do you know they forgot the promise? Because if they'd have remembered, they'd have been camped out at the tomb. The disciples would have been camped out. The soldiers would have been going, get away from, no, no, we're not, I want to see him come out of there. No, I am not moving until I see that. We're three days, we're stuck here. He said he's coming back and I am not leaving. Instead, they fled in fear of their own life. There's been many times in my life where the Lord has moved me to step out in faith. Sometimes big, so other times small, and it never goes like I planned or like I think he's planning. It's in these moments when you take that step of faith, when things aren't going like you think they should, they're still serving that you have to go back and go, I need to go back to the Lord's words. What did he say back then? What did he say when he called me? What did he say? I need to remember what he said. And so often we put a time limit. This is the time limit. He goes, no, 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 my time not, my, my ways are not your ways. You can't work on your time limit. God's doing something. It might take longer than you expect, and many times it usually does. You see, the women had a problem. Who's going to roll away the stone? Who's going to get us in there? Who's gonna, maybe the Roman guards will be really nice. They'll roll away the stone. I doubt that. Maybe somebody will be there to roll away the stone. But the Lord realizes in their act of service, I'll meet you there. I'll overcome the promise. Hey, Gabriel, go move that stone. Now, I don't know that it was Gabriel. Don't say you know, doesn't, the scripture don't tell us, doesn't tell us that. But he sends it, he dispatches an angel to roll away the stone. Now, why did the stone get rolled away? Here's, here's something interesting. Did, did the angel roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out of the tomb? No, not at all. Why? Well, then if he didn't need to get, well, we know in just a few hours he's going to walk through a wall. He didn't need to, he could have walked through the stone. So why did the stone need to be rolled away? So they could see in. These ladies, so we could look in and go, that tomb is empty. And I've been to Israel, tomb's still empty. Now, we don't know that's the same one, but I can tell you that it's still empty. These women, the men and the women that would testify to us, historically, the tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen. It wasn't so that he could get out. It was so that they and we could see in. Think about that. Jesus wasn't inside the tomb knocking on the wall. Hey, would you let me out? Let me out of here. Gabriel, come on down. It wasn't it at all. Matter of fact, I think when they rolled the, tomb, the stone away, I think it was empty. I think when the women looked, there was nobody there. I don't, I don't think the guards saw him come out. I, don't, I, just, I just think he, he, just, he just came out. I don't even think it was, they didn't see anything. The angel probably senses their doubts. And instead of putting them down, instead of saying, you know, he told you this over and over and over again. What's wrong with you? That's how we are sometimes. The angel doesn't do that. Look there in verse 6. What does he say? Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. It's real simple. The angel says, come on, come and see. Come and see, come and see. And then he says, go and tell. 
Come and see and go and tell. First, I want you to come see. Experience for yourself the empty tomb. Dispel your own doubts. And when you're convinced, go quickly and tell the disciples. The message was clear. Come and see and go and tell. Go tell the disciples what? That Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's going before you. Important. He's risen. He's going before you. And he's going to meet you in Galilee. You see, the fact that he's going before them, the fact that he's going to meet them is important to them because it assured that he was alive, but it also confirmed his continued relationship with them. It wasn't like he's risen from the dead and I'm out of here. Sorry, you guys blew it. You took off on me. You, you, you abandoned me. You forsook me. That's it. I'm done with you guys. I'm going to pick a whole new 12. No, he says, go. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not done with these guys yet. I'm going before them. Tell them I'll meet them in Galilee. For all those critics of the Bible, and I run across them from time to time, they would say in some ways that the Bible tends to degrade women. It tends to put women down. It puts men above women. Let me first say I completely disagree, but I want you to notice something here. It is to two faithful women the resurrection is first revealed, not to men, to women. It is to two faithful women the gospel message is given. Oh yeah? Go tell them I'm alive. Go tell them I've risen. It is these two women get the first gospel message, and it is to these two women who Christ will appear first to. In no way does the Bible ever put a woman down. Instead, it elevates her. God's love for her is clearly seen throughout it. Look at verse 8 as they respond. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. A little scared about the whole angel thing, but also great joy. And they ran... Ran, I like that, ran, not walk, not meandering. They ran to bring his disciples' word. These women are on their way to do exactly what they're told. They are walking, literally running in obedience to the Lord. Such a simple command and such faithful obedience. I often wonder, are we running after the Lord or are we meandering after the Lord? Are we jogging after the Lord or are we kind of little on the right of the path, left of the path, dog over here, squirrel over there, cat over, oh, back to the Lord. Where's our focus at? These women are literally running after the Lord in obedience to him. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, saints running in the way of obedience are likely to be met by Jesus. Isn't that what we want? Some Christians travel to heaven so slowly they are overtaken by follies or by faults by slumber, I'm just too tired today, or by Satan. But he who is Christ's running footman shall meet his master while he is speeding on his way. Are you running after the Lord this morning or are you just kind of meandering? As these ladies are running in obedience, it's where Jesus meets them. Look at verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren, my brothers, a term of endearment, my brothers, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. It doesn't say go and tell those useless disciples, go and tell those hypocrites, go and tell Pete. He doesn't say that. When Jesus meets them, he says, Rejoice. Rejoice. The King James says, all hail. All it is is a common greeting of that day. It's kind of like, hi, how are you? Hey, ladies, what's up today? 
They're, they're like, whoa, what's going on? Consider something with me, though. When these women came to the tomb, their expectations were kind of wrong. They didn't know he was going to be alive. They thought he would be dead. So we could kind of say their doctrine was off a little bit. Their expectations were off. They thought he was dead. But Jesus came to them. And even though they were doctrinally wrong, can I submit to you they were devotionally right? And what I mean by that is they might not have understood what God was doing or what Jesus was doing, but they understood their devotion to him, their dedication to him. They were the last to leave and the first to go. And that's who Jesus shows up to. He meets them right there. You see, I'm convinced that a lot of us take pride in our doctrines. It becomes something important to us. When really what the Lord says, I want your affection. I want your devotion. You can be committed to the precepts about Christ. But let me ask you, are you committed to the person of Christ? Sometimes even in the decision process to follow Christ, it all becomes about doctrine and devotion and logic and proving this to me and proving that to me. You know, I've always said it. If someone can argue you into the kingdom, someone else is going to come argue you right back out again. He's looking for devotion. He's looking for commitment. The doctrine will come along the way. Many believers are doctrinally right, but they're dead right. Literally, literally, physically dead right because their doctrine lacks their devotion. It's more about being right than it is about knowing their Savior. Their spirituality is based on their argument. Their spirituality is based on having the, winning the argument. It's about how much I know. But when it comes to application of what I know in my life, Many times it's missing. On the other hand, there's other Christians who have very limited knowledge. They go, I don't understand all that doctrine stuff. All those big words, they don't, they don't make any sense to me. I just don't get it. Their knowledge can be limited. But it's many times to them that Jesus will appear over and over again. Because he recognizes their devotion. He recognizes their desire to spend time with him. The angel has told them to go tell the disciples. And now Jesus has told them, go tell my brethren. From the other gospels, we know that these ladies were obedient. They went and told the disciples. John tells us him and Peter had a race to the tomb. And John wants to make sure he know, you know that he won. But Peter went on inside, he looked around. But what we also get is they were a little skeptical. They weren't sure they didn't quite believe it yet. They still didn't really, they had their doubts, so to speak. Notice that based upon seeing Jesus, these ladies worshipped. Jesus, in, in the act of worship, Jesus calmed their fears as, he gra as they grabbed his feet. Think about that for a second. Jesus calmed their fears as they hung on to his feet. This is a rough morning for them. Okay? They woke up thinking, I'm going to go just put some spices on, on a dead guy. It's probably going to stink. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to just do this stuff and get it over with. But they get there. The stone's away. Jesus is gone. The angel's there. The Roman guards are falling over dead. And now Jesus meets them. They don't know what to do. They're scared. Yet what do they do? They enact a worship. They fall on their face. They grab a hold of their feet, Jesus' feet. And in response, their fears, Jesus says, don't fear. Don't fear. Do you have trouble with fear? Is there a fear that seems to overtake you? Is there something that seems to play over and over in your head? It can be calmed at the feet of Jesus. It can be calmed knowing he is God, knowing that he can handle everything. In the moment, these ladies have gone from fearful to fearless. They've gone from hopeless to hopeful. 
How did it all happen? At the sight of Jesus. At the presence of Christ. It's simple. When they forgot the promises of their Savior, they forgot that he was going to rise again, there was no hope. They're crushed. They're devastated. But the moment he's standing before them, they're in worship at his feet, and their hope abounds. He's alive. He's risen. We have a message. We have a word. We have an order to carry out. Go tell the disciples. If this morning you find yourself hopeless, if you find yourself fearful, if you find yourself empty, then may I suggest that you need to spend some time at the feet of the Savior, the one that quenches the fear, the one that makes hope abound, and the one that will fill you up like you've never been filled up before. You need to know he's alive. He's not dead. He is, you need to know that he's going before you. He told these ladies, hey, I'm going before them. I'm going before you. Tell them I'll meet them in Galilee. And he desires to have your devotion more than anything is your, your connection with him, your relationship with him. Now, I must pause for a moment because the doctrine of the resurrection is extremely important to Christianity. Sometimes people want to debate it. They want to say it doesn't exist. In fact, I'm going to go beyond and say, I don't know if it's important. It's essential to Christianity. I don't believe that you can be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus is alive. Let me go that far to say that. It's, the, it's one of our core doctrines. It's, we have to be very dogmatic on this. It is a, essential to our belief. You see, the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus is no different than any other religious guru that lived throughout history. Muhammad, he's dead. Buddha, he's dead. The prophets of the Old Testament, they're dead. But Jesus is alive. The resurrection demonstrates Jesus' power over sin and death. It conquered, death conquered everybody else except for Christ. It displays his deity and it guarantees your resurrection over death. You see, if he was still dead and buried in that tomb, you wouldn't really know that if he overcame death or not. You'd have to wonder. People would be passing from this life into the next. You go, well, I wonder if they made it. But now they know, now we can know if we're a Christian, if we're in Jesus Christ, this life is nothing but a short period of time where we pass from. The moment we pass, we go to be with Christ forever. We wouldn't have that assurance if he hadn't risen from the dead. It's essential to it. Demonstrates his power over sin and death. It displays his deity and it guarantees our resurrection. The Jewish leaders... They don't like this. They're going to try to cover it up. But the scriptures are going to tell us that Jesus was seen by over 500 people. And with the exception of John, all of the apostles were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. They tried to martyr John, to kill John. They couldn't. All of them were martyred. They died a torturous death. And rarely, if ever, will a man die a torturous death for a lie which he fabricated. Let me say it again. Many men die for things that aren't true. But rarely will a man die for a lie that he knows is a lie. There's a difference there. You can look at, in the Muslim world, you have jihad and people are giving their life for what they think is true. They believe it to be true. That's not the same thing. This is someone who fabricates a lie, knows it's a lie, and says, I'm willing to take that to my death. If you could find one person to do that, I'm certain you couldn't find 11. Somebody would give it up and say, yeah, no, no, it was all a hoax. Just kidding. Here it is. I'm going to give it up. So what happened to the Roman guards? When we left them, the women are off to tell the apostles, Roman guards, what about the Jewish leaders? You know, see, they'd fought so hard to keep this from happening. At what point, this, this would be a good point for them to go, you know what, I think we were wrong. I think, you know, maybe he was the Messiah. 
This would be a good time for them to come up with that. Instead, look what happens in verse 11. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, big problem, got to call a meeting, they have a large sum of, they, I'm sorry, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Notice, it says some of the guard came into the city. Some came into the city. Where did the rest of them go? They stayed at the tomb. They were still had an order to guard the tomb. They still had to continue guarding. They had not been relieved. But this is the very first attempt in history at denying the resurrection. Very first attempt. The Jewish leaders, they're buying off the Roman soldiers. I can just imagine how this story went. Here comes the Roman soldiers. They meet with the Jewish leaders. They start telling them, well, we gotta, let's, get, let's get a meeting together. We call the elders together. Now tell us what happened. Okay, this is what happened. We were there. We were guarding the tomb like we were supposed to. This angel came down. He was really bright. And the, the stone rolled away. He took a seat on it. We were scared to death. We just laid there like dead men. And when, this is my opinion, when the stone came out, there was nothing in there. He was gone. It was empty. There was nobody in the tomb. So we didn't know what to do. He wasn't there. Now, what do you want us to do? Okay, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a bunch of money, and you just start telling everybody that while you were napping, his disciples came and stole him away. That's the plan. Okay, makes sense to me. They go, no, 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 we can't say that. Why? Because if Pilate finds out we're sleeping... He's going to kill us. No, no, no. Don't worry about Pilate. If he hears about it, we'll take care of it. We'll make you secure, the scripture says. Now, I have a joke I say often in my home. I always say, I'm not a detective, but if I was. Now, those of you that know me, know me, I used to be a detective. Before I was a pastor, I was a violent crimes detective. So when I say I'm not a detective and I look for evidentiary things, it really is. That's kind of the way my mind works. So when I read this story, I I have some questions. I have some, I'm going to call them obvious problems. I want to question them. I want to talk to the soldiers. I want to ask them some things. And the first thing I would ask them is, wait a minute, if you were asleep, how do you know who took him? What? No, no, if you guys were sleeping, how do you know who stole the body? The disciples. Well, how do you know it was the disciples? Well, we saw them. Well, then you weren't sleeping. No, no, we were sleeping. No, no, when you sleep, you can't see what's going on around you. And that usually leaves, oh, oh I, I don't know. And it, it's kind of funny when you, when, you, when you put somebody in a corner like that, they really, the, the stories usually just get out of this world. You, you really can't even make it up. I, I was interviewing a guy one time. A little side story. I was interviewing a guy, and, and it, was, it was a violent crimes case, and I had his fingerprints at a crime scene. So I asked him, I said, hey, how did your fingerprints get at the crime scene? And he looked and he paused for a moment. He said, somebody must have cut off my hand, took it there, left my fingerprints, and then sewed it back on. (laughs) So what's my next question? Can I see your wrist? And he pulls it, and he says this, they did a good job. You can't even see it. 
do you think I bought that story? Of course not. Tell it to the judge, right? It's not going to work. So back to our question, if you were sleeping, how do you know who stole the body? My next question is this, Roman guards never fall asleep on duty. Such an act would have been punishable by execution. You would be killed for falling asleep on duty. Notice the Jewish leader said there in verse 14, they would make the soldiers secure. Why did they have to say that? Because they understood the consequence of sleeping on duty. Why did they need to be made secure? Because it was serious. And I'm pretty sure they loved their lives a little more they wanted to nap that night. I'm pretty sure that was more important to them. But my next question, I would follow it with, wait a minute, guys, you are trained Roman soldiers. You are armed, you have helmets, you have shields. How did the fishermen beat you up? How did they come in behind? How did they get past you? You have a whole garrison of men, or however many were there, half went to talk to the priest, half stayed there, some went, some stayed. How did some fishermen, from, what did they bring their nets and throw them over you? It doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not logical. You want to kind of, Peter couldn't even kill Malchus. All he got was his ear. It doesn't, how did that happen? You see, in attempting to deny the resurrection, I think they actually proved it. They answered questions. They, they made it more believable to me. In their fear of the resurrection, them and the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, they substantiated it. It makes more sense. They literally did away with all the arguments against it. It's all written down here from this time period. It's all, it's all written there. It's amazing how so easily we will discard what somebody says in light of what someone else says simply because we'd rather believe them instead of believing the truth. See, the truth is Jesus' body wasn't stolen. He's alive. He's not, he's not dead. He's not in a tomb. He is alive. He is alive, which is, which is to our benefit. It's to our blessing. Prior to Jesus' death, the disciples had plans. They had big plans. They were going to serve in his kingdom. They wanted to take over Israel. They wanted to fight against the Romans. They wanted to get Israel out from underneath the Roman rule. And when Jesus died, do you realize the plans of the disciples died with them? Their misconceptions of what would take place died. Their dreams of a political kingdom and the material prosperity that would follow, dead, gone. All my hope was in the political kingdom. My hope is in the prosperity. We're going to be, I'm going to sit on the right and the left. We're going to rule together. But he's dead. It was only then, at the resurrection, that Jesus could tell them, now that your plans are dead, now you can see my plans. I have plans that exceed your expectations. I have plans that you can't comprehend. But I needed to remove your expectations. I needed you to be broken to nothing. You see, Jesus is building a spiritual kingdom. He'll pour out spiritual, eternal riches on those who fall at his feet, on those who trust in him. What a great, what a great reason to rejoice. You know, that's how he works in our life today. It's kind of the same way. Sometimes he shatters our selfish dreams and ambitions. I had it all planned out. I had it. I, my life, before I started following Christ, I had my career path laid out. I can look back at my friends when I was in the police department. They're all captains and majors and high-ranking guys now. That was my plan. I was, I'm like, I'm smarter than him. I'm better than him. I can do better than him. They're all there. That was my plan. All those plans had to come crashing down. And he says, now I have a plan for you. And you know what? I would never go back there. 
I like to go back and visit momentarily so I can realize, man, that's not where I want to be. It's a good reminder. He shatters our selfish dreams and ambitions. Sometimes he sorrows us. Why? So he can salvage you. So he can bring you back up. When we abandon our plans, he resurrects a new hope. My hope is not in me and my plans. It's in him and his plans. He shows us his purpose, excites us with new possibilities. In him, I can do anything. In him, with his power, with the Holy Spirit behind me, I can do whatever he calls me to. It might be scary, but if I'm doing it for him, he'll provide all that I need along the way. What a blessing that is. He excites us with these new possibilities, and what a reason to rejoice. I guess the question I have for you this morning, this is probably the most serious one I'm going to ask today, where do you stand with Jesus? Where are you with him? Is he your savior? Are you running after him? You say, well, Rob, I'm kind of, well, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm, I'm still, no, then you're not running after him. You're not following him. You see, there's only two options. There's only two answers. Are you following Christ? It's yes or it's no. There's no, well, I will someday. Then you're not today. Well, I will, when I get married and have kids, then I will. No, no, you're not following him today. You see, and here's the reality. If you're following Christ today, you already know you're following Christ. You're sure of it. You're confident of it. You know where you're going. You know you're on your path with him. You know he's leading you, even if it's difficult, even if life is hard. You know he's right there with you in the difficulty. But if you're not following Christ, you also know that as well. You know that I have really nothing to do with Christ. I really don't think about him. I don't really know that book that you're reading from. I really don't know what you're talking about. As a matter of fact, it sounds like you're talking a completely different language to me. Here's what I want to tell you. Which side you're on is your choice. Any moment you can make that decision to say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. I don't like where my life is right now. I'm missing something. My life's a mess. My marriage is a mess. Everything's a mess. Can I encourage you that there comes a time in your life where you have to draw a line in the sand. Where you say, from today, this is the moment that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I've tried to do this my own way, and I, I just can't. I'm missing something in my life. You see, I wasn't a person that, my life wasn't a mess when I followed Christ. I had a good job. I was providing for my family. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. From the outside, it looked great. But there was something missing inside of me. There was something that wasn't there that needed to be there. There was a joy that was missing. There was a fulfillment that was missing. But now today, I can stand here before you and say, I have it. As I follow the Lord, I would never go back. Other people... He has to take more away from you. He has to bring you to a deeper place, to a darker place. But here's the amazing thing. Like he met these women, right where they were at, he does the exact same thing. There's a misconception that says we have to clean ourselves up for Christ. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything for Christ except believe. The moment you draw that line in the sand, the moment you give your life to Christ and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. And I'm going to follow you. You know what he tells us? All of heaven rejoices when somebody does that. Because they've come to the realization that he is God. And he paid the penalty for the sins. And he will now walk with you for the rest of your life. Now don't misunderstand. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy. It might be difficult. But you just go from hopeless to hope. You know, as a prior to my becoming a pastor, I told you I was a violent crimes detective. I worked a number of suicides. Number of suicide cases. You know what they all have in common? Hopelessness. Hopelessness. There's no hope. In Christ, you have the hope that you need. 
in Christ, you know that I'm going to navigate this world however much longer I have. And the moment I take my last breath is my first breath in eternity with him. You mean we don't really die? As a Christian, you don't die. You will go, your physical body will go through the process of death. That happens every day. But your spirit will go to be with the Lord. You'll be resurrected with a spiritual body and forever be with him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at the world around me and I see the problems that are raging and the, wor- the wars that are going on and the evil that's abounding in the world, I look and I go, thank you, Lord, this is not all there is. Because if there is, it's a mess. And if there is no resurrection, do you realize we're all wasting our time? But there is a resurrection. There is a hope in Christ that comes from nowhere else. And you can only have it in him. For those that know him, keep walking with him. Finish the race that's before you. For those that don't know him, I would ask you this morning, would you draw a line in the sand? Would you say, today is the day that I am going to follow Jesus Christ for the rest of my life? And I'm going to do something bold. I don't usually do this. I usually let you do it quietly. But if you want to accept Christ for your Savior, and, don't, and here's what everyone gets kind of nervous about this. All of the Christians, they're praying right now, Lord, if there's somebody here that they would accept you, would, you, would you just be with them? Would you help them? If you want to accept Christ for your Savior, I just want you to stand up right where you're at. I just want to pray with you. If you don't know him, if you've never accepted Christ, you say, I need to draw that line in the sand. This needs to be the day. What better day than Easter Sunday, 2019, to say, I am going to follow Christ today for the rest of my life. Just stand up. Don't, don't care what anybody else thinks. They're not, they're not here for you. May, may, they may already know the Lord. Anybody out there? No. It's my prayer that all of you know the Lord. And here, if it's the case, what a rejoice. How can we, what, a, what a pleasure it is to rejoice. It is finished. The work is done on the cross. We're just going to navigate this world together until we see him face to face. While we look forward to his return, we stay busy about his work while we wait. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, Easter Sunday, what a reminder of your resurrection. What a blessing to know that that tomb is empty. That in you there's hope that doesn't exist anywhere else. In you there's life everlasting. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we need the reminders. Sometimes our doctrine is wrong. May our devotion be right. May we have that desire to follow you, to know you, to read your word and to study draw closer to you. And for those that do, Lord, may we worship and praise for you are the King, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. It's in Jesus' name that we can even come before a mighty God and say, 